Good evening. I hope you've had a great day today. Welcome to BVJ's Bedtime Stories. I'm Big Voice Jay, and this is a show where we get you ready for a good night's sleep with public domain short stories just for you. Links to all the stories can be found at the show notes at bedtimewithbvj.com. And if you'd like to support the show, there's a buy me a coffee link on every page and post. Tonight's story, The Adventure of Shulskamold Place, by Arthur Conan Doyle. Sherlock Holmes had been bending for a long time over a low-power microscope. Now he straightened himself up and looked round at me in triumph. It is glue, Watson, said he. Unquestionably, it is glue. Have a look at these scattered objects in the field. I stooped to the eyepiece and focused for my vision. Those hairs are threads from a tweed coat. The irregular gray masses are dust. There are epithelial scales on the left. Those brown blobs in the center are undoubtedly glue. Well, I said, laughing, I am prepared to take your word for it. Does anything depend on it? It is a very fine demonstration, he answered. In the St. Pancras case, you may remember that a cap was found beside the dead policeman. The accused man denies that it is his, but he is a picture frame maker who habitually handles glue. Is it one of your cases? No, my friend Merivale of the Yard asked me to look into the case. Since I ran down that coiner by the zinc and copper filings in the seam of his cuff, they have begun to realize the importance of the microscope. He looked impatiently at his watch. I had a new client calling, but he is overdue. By the way, Watson, you know something of racing. I ought to. I paid for it with about half my wound pension. Then I'll make you my handy guide to the turf. What about Sir Robert Norburden? Does the name recall anything? Well, I should say so. He lives at Shoskamold Place, and I know it well, for my summer quarters were down there once. Norberton nearly came within your province once. How was that? It was when he horsewhipped Sam Brewer, the well-known Curzon Street moneylender on Newmarket Health. He nearly killed the man. Ah, he sounds interesting. Does he often indulge in that way? Well, he has the name of being a dangerous man. He is about the most daredevil rider in England, second in the Grand National a few years back. He's one of those men who has overshot their true generation. He should have been a buck in the days of the Regency. A boxer, an athlete, a plunger on the turf, a lover of fair ladies, and by all accounts, so far down Odd Street that he may never find his way back again. Capital Watson, a thumbnail sketch. I seem to know the man. Now, can you give me some idea of Shoscombe Old Place? Only that it is in the center of Shulscombe Park, and that the famous Shulscombe stud and training quarters are to be found there. And the head trainer, said Holmes, is John Mason. You need not look surprised at my knowledge, Watson, for this is a letter from him which I am unfolding. But let us have some more about Shulscombe. He seemed to have struck a rich vein. These are the Shulscombe Spaniels, I said. You hear of them every dog show, uh, the most exclusive breed in England, 
They're the special pride of the Lady of Shoskamold Place. Sir Robert Norberton's wife, I presume. Sir Robert has never married. Just as well, I think, considering his prospects. He lives with his widowed sister, Lady Beatrice Falter. You mean that she lives with him? No, no, the place belonged to her late husband, Sir James. Norberton has no claim on it at all. It is only a life interest and reverts to her husband's brother. Meantime, she draws the rents every year. And brother Robert, I suppose, spends the said rents? That is about the size of it. He's a devil of a fellow and must lead her a most uneasy life. Yet I have heard that she is devoted to him. But what is amiss at Shoskam? Ah, that is just what I want to know. And here, I expect, is the man who can tell us. The door had opened, and the page had shown in a tall, clean-shaven man with a firm, austere expression which is only seen upon those who have to control horses or boys. Mr. John Mason had many of both under his sway, and he looked equal to the task. He bowed with cold self-possession and seated himself upon the chair to which Holmes had waved him. And seated himself upon the chair to which Holmes had waved him. You had my note, Mr. Holmes. Yes, but it explained nothing. It was too delicate a thing for me to put the details on paper, and too complicated. It was only face to face I could do it. Well, we are at your disposal. First of all, Mr. Holmes, I think that my employer, Sir Robert, has gone mad. Holmes raised his eyebrows. This is Baker Street, not Harley Street, said he. But why do you say so? Well, sir, when a man does one odd thing or two odd things, there may be a meaning to it, but when everything he does is odd, then you begin to wonder. I believe Shoscombe Prince and the Derby have turned his brain. That is a colt you are running? The best in England, Mr. Holmes. I should know if anyone does. Now I'll be plain with you, for I know you are gentlemen of honor and that it won't go beyond the room. Sir Robert has got to win this derby. He's up to the neck, and it's his last chance. Everything he could raise or borrow is on the horse, and at fine odds, too. You can get forties now, but it was nearer the hundred when he began to back him. But how is that if the horse is so good? The public don't know how good he is. Sir Robert has been too clever for the touts. He has the prince's half-brother out for spins. You can't tell him apart. But there are two lengths in a furlong between them when it comes to a gallop. He thinks of nothing but the horse and the race. His whole life is on it. It seems a rather desperate gamble, but where does the madness come in? Well, first of all, you have to only look at him. He don't believe he sleeps at night. Well, first of all, you only have to look at him. I don't believe he sleeps at night. He's down in the stables at all hours. His eyes are wild. It has all been too much for his nerves. Then there's his conduct to Lady Beatrice. Ah, what is that? They've always been the best of friends. They had the same taste, the two of them. And she loved the horses as much as he did. Every day at the same hour, she would drive down to see them, and above all, she loved the prince. 
He would prick up his ears when he heard the wheels on the gravel, and he would trot out each morning to the carriage to get his lump of sugar. But that's all over now. Why? Well, she seems to have lost all interest in the horses. For a week now, she has driven past the stables with never so much as a good morning. You think there's been a quarrel? A bitter, savage, spiteful quarrel at that. Why else would he give away her pet spaniel that she loved as if he were a child? He gave it a few days ago to old Barnes. What keeps the green dragon three miles off at Crundle? That certainly did seem strange. Of course, with a weak heart and dropsy, one couldn't expect that she could get about with him, but he spent two hours every evening in her room. He might well do what he could, for she has been a rare good friend to him. But that's all over, too. He never goes near her, and she takes it to heart. She's brooding and sulky and drinking. Mr. Holmes, drinking like a fish. Did she drink before this estrangement? Well, she took her glass, but now it is often a whole bottle of an evening. So Stevens, the butler, told me. It's all changed, Mr. Holmes, and there's something rotten about it. But then again, what is Master doing down at the old church crypt at night? And who is that man that meets him there? Holmes rubbed his hands. Uh, go on, Mr. Mason, you get more and more interesting. It was the butler who saw him go. Twelve o'clock at night and raining hard. So next night I was up at the house and sure enough, Master was off again. Stevens and I went after him, but it was jumpy work. For it would have been a bad job if he had seen us. He's a terrible man with his fists if he gets started, and no respecter of persons, so we were shy of getting too near, but we marked him down all right. It was a haunted crypt that he was making for, and there was a man waiting for him there. What is this haunted crypt? Well, sir, there's an old ruined chapel in the park. It's so old that nobody could fix its date. And under it there's a crypt which has a bad name among us. It's a dark, damp, lonely place by day, but there are few in that county that would have the nerve to go near it at night. But Master's not afraid. He never feared anything in his life. But what is he doing there in the night time? Wait a bit, said Holmes. You say there's another man there. It must be one of your own stablemen or someone from the house. Surely you have only to spot who it is and question him. It's no one I know. How can you say that? Because I've seen him, Mr. Holmes. It was on that second night. Sir Robert turned and passed us, me and Stevens, quaking in the bushes like two bunny rabbits, for there was a bit of a moon that night. But we could hear the other moving about behind. We were not afraid of him. So we up when Sir Robert was gone and pretended we were just having a walk like in the moonlight. And, and so we came right on him, as casual and innocent as you please. Hello, mate, who may you be, says I. I guess he had not heard us coming, so he looked over his shoulder with a face as if he'd seen the devil. He let out a yell, and away he went as hard as he could lick it in the darkness. He could run. I'll give him that. In a minute, he was out of sight and hearing, and who he was, or what he was, we never found. But you saw him, clearly, in the moonlight. Yes, I would swear to his face. A mean dog, I should say. What could he have in common with Sir Robert? Holmes sat for some time, lost in thought. 
Who keeps Lady Beatrice Falder company, he asked at last. There is her maid, Carrie Evans. She's been with her this five years. And is no doubt devoted. Mr. Mason shuffled uncomfortably. She's devoted enough, he answered at last. But I won't say to whom. Ah, said Holmes. I can't tell tales out of school. I quite understand, Mr. Mason. Of course, the situation is clear enough. From Dr. Watson's description of Sir Robert, I can realize that no woman is safe from him. Don't you think the quarrel between brother and sister may lie there? Well, the scandal has been very clear for a long time. But she may not have seen it before. Let us suppose that she has suddenly found it out. She wants to get rid of the woman. Her brother will not permit it. The invalid, with her weak heart and inability to get about, has no means of enforcing her will. The hated maid is still tied to her. The lady refuses to speak. Sulks takes to drink. Sir Robert, in his anger, takes her pet spaniel away from her. Does not all this hang together? Well, it might do, so far as it goes. Exactly, as far as it goes. How would all that bear upon the visits by night to the old crypt? We can't fit that into our plot. No, sir. And there's something more that I can't fit in. Why would Sir Robert want to dig up a dead body? Holmes sat up abruptly. We only found it out yesterday, after I had written to you. Yesterday, Sir Robert had gone to London, so Stevens and I went down to the crypt. It was all in order, sir, except that in one corner was a bit of a human body. You informed the police, I suppose? Our visitor smiled grimly. Well, sir, I think it would hardly interest them. It was just a head and a few bones of a mummy. It may have been a thousand years old, but it wasn't there before. That... I'll swear, and so will Stevens. It had been stowed away in a corner and covered over with a board, but that corner had always been empty before. What did you do with it? Well, we just left it there. That was wise. You say Sir Robert was away yesterday, as he returned. We expect him back today. When did Sir Robert give away his sister's dog? It was just a week ago today. The creature was howling outside the old well house and Sir Robert was in one of his tantrums that morning. He caught it up and I thought he would have killed it. Then he gave it to Sandy Bain, the jockey, and told him to take the dog to old Barnes at the Green Dragon, for he never wished to see it again. Holmes sat for some time in silent thought. He had lit the oldest and foulest of his pipes. I am not clear yet what you want me to do in this matter, Mr. Mason, he said at last. Can't you make it more definite? Perhaps this will make it more definite, Mr. Holmes, said our visitor. He took a paper from his pocket, and, unwrapping it carefully, he exposed a charred fragment of bone. Holmes examined it with interest. Where did you get it? There is a central heating furnace in the cellar under Lady Beatrice's room. It's been off for some time, but Sir Robert complained of cold and had it on again. Harvey runs it. He's one of my lads. 
This very morning he came to me with this, which he found raking out the cinders. He didn't like the look of it. Nor do I, said Holmes. What do you make of it, Watson? It was burned to a black cinder, but there could be no question as to its anatomical significance. It's the upper condoil of a human femur, said I. Exactly. Holmes had become very serious. When does this lad tend to the furnace? He makes it up every evening and then leaves it. Then anyone could visit it during the night? Yes, sir. Can you enter it from outside? There is one door from outside. There is another which leads up by a stair to the passage in which Lady Beatrice's room is situated. These are deep waters, Mr. Mason, deep and rather dirty. You say that Sir Robert was not at home last night. No, sir. Then, whoever was burning bones, it was not he. That's true, sir. What is the name of that inn you spoke of? The Green Dragon. It's a good fishing in that part of Berkshire. The honest trainer showed very clearly upon his face that he was convinced that yet another lunatic had come into his harassed life. Well, sir, I've heard there are trout in the mill stream and pike in the hall lake. That's good enough. Watson and I are famous fishermen, are we not, Watson? You may address us in future at the Green Dragon. We should reach it tonight. I need not say that we don't want to see you, Mr. Mason, but a note will reach us, and no doubt I could find you if I want you. When we've gone a little farther into the matter, I will let you have a considered opinion. Thus it was on a bright May evening, Holmes and I found ourselves alone in a first-class carriage, and bound for the little halt-on-demand station of Shoscombe. The rack above us was covered with a formidable litter of rods, reels, and blankets. On reaching our destination, a short drive took us to an old-fashioned tavern, where a sporting host, Josiah Barnes, entered eagerly into our plans for the extirpation of the fish of the neighborhood. What about the whole lake and the chance of a pike, said Holmes. The face of the innkeeper clouded. That wouldn't do, sir. You might chance to find yourself in the lake before you were through. How's that, then? It's Sir Robert, sir. He's terrible jealous of touts. If you two strangers were as near his training quarters as that, he'd be after you as sure as fate. He ain't taking no chances, Sir Robert ain't. I've heard he has a horse entered for the derby. Yes, and a good colt, too. He carries all our money for the race, and all Sir Robert's into the bargain. By the way, he looked at us with thoughtful eyes. I suppose you ain't on the turf yourselves? No, indeed. Just two weary Londoners who badly need some good Berkshire air. Well, you're in the right place for that. There's a deal of it lying about. But mind what I've told you about Sir Robert. He's the sort that strikes first and speaks afterwards. Keep clear of the park. Surely, Mr. Barnes, we certainly shall. By the way, that was a most beautiful spaniel that was whining in the hall. I should say it was. That was the real Shoscombree. There ain't a better in England. I'm a dog fancier myself, said Holmes. Now, if it is a fair question, what would a prize dog like that cost? 
More than I could pay, sir. It was Sir Robert himself who gave me this one. That's why I have to keep it on a lead. It would be off to the hall in a jiffy if I gave it its head. We are getting some cards in our hand, Watson, said Holmes when the landlord had left us. It's not an easy one to play, but we may see our way in a day or two. By the way, Sir Robert is still in London, I hear. We might perhaps enter the sacred domain tonight without fear of bodily assault. There are one or two points on which I should like reassurance. Have you any theory, Holmes? Only this, Watson, that something happened a week or so ago which is cut deep into the life of the Shulscombe household. What is that something? You can only guess at it from its effects. They seem to be of a curiously mixed character, but that should surely help us. It is only the colorless, uneventful case which is hopeless. Let us consider our data. The brother no longer visits the beloved invalid's sister. He gives away her favorite dog, her dog Watson. Does that suggest nothing to you? Nothing but the brother's spite. Well, it might be so, or... Well, there is an alternative. Now, to continue our review of the situation from the time that the quarrel, if there is a quarrel, began. The lady keeps her room, alters her habits, is not seen save when she drives out with her maid, refuses to stop at the stables to greet her favorite horse, and apparently takes to drink. That covers the case, does it not? Save for the business in the crypt. Ah, that is another line of thought. There are two, and I beg you will not tangle them. Line A, which concerns Lady Beatrice, has a vaguely sinister flavor, has it not? I can make nothing of it. Well, now, let us take up line B, which concerns Sir Robert. He is mad keen upon winning the Derby. He is in debt and may at any moment be sold up in his racing stable seized by his creditors. He's a daring and desperate man. He derives his income from his sister. His sister's maid is his willing tool. So far, we seem to be on fairly safe ground, do we not? But the crypt, ah, yes, the crypt. Let us suppose, Watson, it is... It is merely a scandalous supposition, a hypothesis put forward for argument's sake, that Sir Robert has done away with his sister. My dear Holmes, it is out of the question. Very possibly, Watson. Sir Robert is a man of honorable stock, but you do occasionally find a carrion crow among the eagles. Let us for a moment argue upon the supposition. He could not fly the country until he'd realized his fortune, and that fortune could only be realized by bringing off this coup with Shulscombe Prince. Therefore, he has still to stand his ground. To do this, he would have to dispose of the body of his victim, and he would also have to find a substitute who would impersonate her. With the maid, it is confident that would not be impossible. The woman's body might be conveyed to the crypt, which is a place so seldom visited, and it might be secretly destroyed at night in the furnace, leaving behind it such evidence as we have already seen. What say you to that, Watson? Well, it is all possible if you grant the original monstrous supposition. I think that there is a small experiment which we may try tomorrow, Watson. 
in order to throw some light on the matter. Meanwhile, if we mean to keep up our characters, I suggest that we have our host in for a glass of his own wine and hold some high converse upon eels and dace, which seems to be the straight road to his affections. We may chance to come upon some useful local gossip in the process. We'll continue our story on our next episode. We are always on the hunt for great stories like these to feature on the show. You can send your suggestions to bigvoicej at gmail.com. We've got a YouTube channel full of stories from the show. Go to tiny.cc slash bvjbedtime. If you found some value in our storytelling tonight, don't forget to show the love. There's a buy me a coffee link on every post. Thank you so much for listening. Good night. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> <laughs>